Hi everyone, welcome back to Love Essie the podcast. This is episode 34 and this week I'm going to be talking to you guys about two amazing things. One is Bookstore Romance Day 2020 aka the second annual Bookstore Romance Day and the other thing I'm going to be talking about is book three in the Guilt Hunter series by Nalini Singh aka Archangel's Consort. Is it Consort? Is it Consort? Is it Consort? Je ne sais. Who knows? Someone does. But it ain't me. Alright, so I'm going to talk quickly about uh, Bookstore Romance Day. And then there's going to be a Ziad. And after Ziad, there's going to be Zitok of the Archangel's Consort. Yes. Yes. Okay, so yesterday because i'm filming this on sunday filming <laughs> recording because i'm no um i'm recording this on sunday so this happened yesterday there were events today but i was out and about you know being social with 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 people in person as opposed to be people virtually anyway yesterday august 15th 2020 was the second annual bookstore romance day and it was absolutely wonderful now because of you know a little a little virus called covid19 also known as corona novel virus um we couldn't really do a lot in person right it was really real hard to be all up in places when we can't congregate so and people can't really travel so there were virtual panels um and so one of the things that I think is really cool, you know, the silver lining is virtual panels allowed me to be present at panels that say last year could have happened at a bookstore far, far away from me. And I wouldn't have been able to participate because they would have only been in-person panels. And I, you know, do not have the magic of a jet or device that gets me from you know i can't teleport from place to place to place from panel to panel to panel so it was actually a lot of fun that these were virtual and i could just like you know be on my laptop with my snacks you know and uh started out with coffee then switched to um a mixed strawberry lemonade with sparkling you know water and it tasted so fun and bubbly but anyway i could just sit in front of my laptop and watch these um uh panels happen so i attended panels for most of the day right um it started out my first panel was with um Rowan Parrish, Sinithia Willems, uh, Reese Ryan, and I want to say it's Jessica Buck. I could be wrong. Um, and it was so cool to listen to them talk, right? My, the, because uh, I did a bunch of panels, guys. Uh, the next panel was Meg Cabot, Talia Hibber, Alexis Daria with uh, Maureen Lee Lenker, um, which was also Phenom. Uh, that was followed up by, um, Eliza Mann, Beverly Jenkins, Vivian Lorette, and Cherish Michaels with Samantha Hendricks from a bookstore whose name I'm blanking on because I'm terrible, but it's okay. That was then followed by Alyssa Cole, Sonali Dev, um, Diana Quincy, 
Jennifer Estep and I feel like I'm going to mispronounce this and I apologize. Um, Thien Kim Lam? Thien Kim Lam? Tien Kim Lam? I'm, I apologize. I don't know. Um, and then, because, you know, I, it was bookstore romance day, so I couldn't get enough. That was followed up by Tracy Livesey and Sarah McLean. Um, and then, because, you know, a girl just could not stop. Andrea Mertucci from Shelf Love Podcast had Audrey had cocktail hours Audrey Carlin, JC Lee, and Elia Winters. And then to round it all off, uh the final panel had Zuri Day, Jules Bennett, Susanna Irwin, Sophia Singh Sasan, and Kat Shield. And so basically I was, you know on my laptop uh from like one to like nine um basically with like break you know a break or two for you know quote unquote bathroom because you know my bladder was like skirt skirt ma'am what are you doing and I was like okay okay I'm going um but it was absolutely phenomenal and wonderful now some of you might be like what in the fuck is bookstore romance days so last year was the first year that it was um done um and it was created because the relationship that indie bookstores and romance um the romance genre have is a little bit fraught um and i say this because how do i put this there are still you know um people and by people um i mean just people who have really sort of, I feel like, negative um, thoughts or have negative connotations associated with romance and see it as like a less than kind of thing or just like not something that's cool. And I find it very, very like, uh. And so one of the things I definitely had noticed was like you go to like an independent bookstore because you want to support them because you don't want to support big box bookstores or you don't want to support Amazon because, you know, it is it can be the devil. And then you get to that cute, like awesome, adorable little indie bookstore and then they don't have a romance section or they have a romance section that has one shelf with you know, the most um, basic titles, usually recent releases, and that's it. And even then, when it's recent releases, I feel like it's very, a very specifically curated list. And I say this because last year, um, for the inaugural bookstore um, romance event, which was she didn't post her last name on in, on Twitter, but her name is Billy, and she created it last year um, because she really wanted to, you know, create a better relationship between indie bookstores and romance readers because we love to buy books, but then we go to indie bookstores and either the bookstore or the staff or whatever, it 
it, we just feel unwelcome and so we end up going to Barnes and Nobles where at least they have the books we want not always or we just rely on like purchasing things online from Amazon because you know the indie bookstores we went to made us feel uncomfortable um so Billy created this and even last year with that very first event um I remember I went to four bookstores um I live in New York City there were four participating bookstores on their website that was um Q and Willow in Q Gardens, Queens, Astoria Bookshop in Astoria, Word in Brooklyn, and Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. But Word is in like Greenpoint and Books Are Magic is in, I don't know if that's Prospect Park or Carroll Gardens, whatever, different part of Brooklyn. So I, I've, I live in the Bronx. So what I did was I took the train all the way out so the farthest one away was Q and Willow and Q Gardens. From there, I came into Astoria, from Astoria down to Greenpoint, and from Greenpoint down to the other one. Anyway, one of the things that I immediately noticed was that I would say Astoria Bookshop probably had the best sort of selection of romance in that there was a good amount of both trade and mass market paperback options. Um, Q and Willow had some decent trade, but there was a lot that I was like, ooh, I think someone had had a book come out that I really wanted. It might have been a J.R. Ward book or it might have been something else that had just come out. And I was like, oh, it's indie, you know, like bookstore romance or whatever. I'll buy it like at one of these bookstores. It was not available at any of these. Now, can you go into your indie bookstore and be like, I really want this book. Could you guys order it for me? Of course, you can totally do that. But like, if I want it right, 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 right this second, you know, instant gratification, but not like so instant that I want an ebook, instant that I went to your place of business, I want to order it. I want it to be there. And I get it. You cannot have every author's backlist on the shelves. I totally get that. Yeah, that's crazy. That would be, you know, imagine all of Nora, Ro Nora Roberts. That would be a whole bookstore, Right. That little, like you'd be like, okay, pero is is it just Nora? And they'd be like, oh, over here is JD Rob. And you're like, pero that's Nora. And they'd be like, yeah, you know, that's her bookstore. <laughs> so I totally get that. But that like new releases were only available for certain authors that I didn't want anyway. It just felt very kind of like, <sighs> so this event is sort of to to connect those of us who love romance with indie bookstores that are willing to cater to us by a caring the authors we know and love b you know getting around to having someone um i was what panel was it where someone said i think it was miss bev that was saying that like it was either Miss Bev or Cherish Michaels who was saying they're leaving money on the table by not even having someone in the bookstore, at least one employee who can speak to romance readers about romance, right? Like when, uh, when I walk into a bookstore and I want to buy romance, right? I want to go in and find a section and be like, oh, wow, here are some things I haven't seen. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want the same seven authors that I've seen highlighted everywhere because that's kind of frustrating and annoying. And when I walk into a bookstore that's an independent bookstore and they don't have any romance, I mean, sure, I can pick up a middle grade for the children I don't have, 
You know, sure, I can pick up a kid's picture book for the children I don't have. And sure, I should probably expand my reading horizons. I get that, totally. But I want romance, right? There is, you know, I have gone into indie bookstores and been really hopeful to find a romance section and then walked around and see mystery and seen sci-fi and nothing with romance. And, And maybe tucked in fiction, there's a Christina Lauren or there's a Jasmine Guillory or there's, you know, maybe a Helen Wong, but I already own those both in print and ebook. And I'm just kind of like, damn, I really wanted to buy something here, but I really wanted a romance I don't already own in duplicate, if not triplicate. And the authors that I haven't bought aren't authors I, I want to buy because, you know, that's okay. We're not all going to love the same authors. Some people love certain authors. Some people love others. And so sometimes I, I'm just like, okay, you know what? They have a stationary section. I'll get a card or something like that. Because there's still a part of me that still wants to support. But I'm disappointed. Because I came in hoping to spend anywhere from 30 to 50 to $75. And here I am spending 10 Because you haven't given me the option. You've got, you know, murder mysteries to hell and back. But you don't got romance. You don't have, you know, any of the stamp. You know, you don't have Beverly Jenkins. You don't have Lisa Kleypas. You don't have Vivian Lorette. You don't have, you know, Talia Hibbert. You don't have... You know, Alexis Daria, Sarah McLean. You don't have any of these. You don't have Harlequin either. So I can't even be like, ooh, I know Naima Simone has a new Harlequin. Nope, because you don't even carry Harlequin. Do you have Tracy Lipsey? You don't. What am I supposed to buy? What am I supposed to buy? Some, you know, Jojo Moyes. Girl, if you don't take that. And get it away from me. So I really, really enjoyed, you know, Bookstore Romance Day 2020. I'm excited for Bookstore Romance Day 2021. Um, and to see like what it will entail and what will happen. Um, whether or not, you know, based on how, you know, the coronavirus uh, pans out, what that will look like. Will it be a mixture of virtual and in-person events, all virtual, all in-person, who knows? But I'm very excited to see this event grow, to have more. <laughs> so I looked through the bookstores that were participating and there was one in Alaska and I was like, oh, I mean, they're so far away. And I know that things are really hard, so I'm going to order some books. And then they, like, immediately called and were like, girl, did you mean to buy from us? And I was like, yes. And they were like, really? And I was like, yes. And she was like, are you sure? Because we're in Alaska and you're in New York. And I was like, I know. I know it's crazy. But I thought I'd, you know, spread my purchases around. Because I, I think I bought from four bookstores. Two in New York. Love, Sweet Arrow. And this Alaska one. Okay, maybe, maybe I'm being silly and ridiculous, but a part of me was like, it's Alaska. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're doing amazing in terms of sales or if they're struggling. And sure, it's only two books, but why not? Why not? Then I can be like, I got books from Alaska. But they were very much like, 
skirt, skirt, fireside books in Alaska. And I was like, yes. And they were like, you a weirdo. And I was like, mm, I know. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it was also really cool to see so many of these authors whose books I love, like Alexis Daria, who, you know, her You Had Me at Ola, which just came out, is, you know, sounds absolutely delightful. You know, Talia Hibbert, who I love. And I really, really, really hope one day I can, you know, see her on a panel in person. Um, and I kind of like want to do it in the UK because like, <laughs> then I get to travel. But like, if she comes, you know, stateside, that would also be fucking incredible. Um, getting to see Reese Ryan and be like, oh my gosh, she's so cute like her smile is just so infectious and i'm just like oh she can just always smile i love it and you know being so excited for you know her holocaust desires which have such gorgeous fucking covers like oh my goodness you know seeing like um just authors that like you know i love miss beverly jenkins it's just like every time i see her on a screen i feel so privileged i'm like it's miss beverly and she's speaking to us and we are so lucky and we are so blessed um you know seeing um i'm blanking on her name like oh jc lee and you know just seeing andrea martucci from shelf of podcast okay i you just gonna take this moment right now to be like i think that she her podcast is so good and so well constructed and she has such good questions like oh she is phenom and i am so excited to see what comes from her all the time and i again i think we're so so lucky that to have her and i'm hoping to see more events with more authors right that's one of the really sort of upsides of you know the fucking world on fire is that i can see these things virtually in my home and you know because i'm lucky and blessed enough and privileged enough to have internet and have you know a work laptop you know at first i was like work laptop work from home i don't know but now i'm like ooh, this is so great for like you know my non-work life oh i love it i love it so yeah i had so much fun with bookstore romance day um I definitely think that I think if you go to Bookstore Romance Day's Twitter, some of the panels, you know, are available for you to watch on like YouTube. Like I know Love Sweet Arrow, um, all of their live events that they do live on YouTube, you can then watch the stream of it after. So you can check out all of the panels that they've had. I hope to also like visit them one day. Oh, also they have surprise boxes. Okay, so surprise boxes are fucking awesome. You basically like buy a box, you tell them if you want a candle or you don't, and they send you a box. If you say you want a candle, there's a candle. If you don't say you want a candle, I'm assuming there isn't a candle. I've always asked for a candle. Anyway, you get book, candle, and sometimes like one other thing, and it's like a surprise because you don't know. You can in the notes, you know, maybe be like, oh, I really love paranormal, or I want historical, or I want black author, or, you know, I'm sure you get real, real specific, like, I would love, you know, a contemporary fake dating with a secret baby trope, like, I'm sure that they could do that for you, 
or they would at least try and if they couldn't i'm sure they'd let you know be like oh girl so you insane and this is a no although i think what i just said is not crazy i'm sure it exists but it is so so fucking cool um so what i was saying is you know check out the bookstore um romance day twitter um definitely plan i mean you're probably like plan for next year girl that's a whole like 360 something i know it's a little bit far away but like you know like you know it's it's fun um and definitely oh oh i put it in the show notes for the previous episode and i'm putting it in the show notes again because linda watson right she created a calendar a google calendar of romance events so all of the panels that were happening yesterday were in this calendar so when you clicked on the event in the calendar it immediately took you to the like you could click on the link to the registration page then you would register and all of that jazz so it was so easy to be able to sign up for all these panels and sure you could find all this information on twitter but it was so much smoother having it already there in a calendar like linda is fucking incredible for that i thank her from the bottom of my heart because honestly it made everything so much easier i literally had the calendar open being like okay what's next what's next what's next Ooh, ah i didn't sign up for that but that sounds really cool should i register anyway just so i can get like you know the the stream of that sent to me like it was awesome and it's not just it wasn't just for books or romance Every, anytime she gets you know a romance event sent to her she adds it to the calendar if you didn't know nisha sharma in the lead up to her new release is doing instagram chats with people at 8 p.m eastern just on her instagram live i saw the one with her and uh, adriana herrera and oh my god it was so good they are so fucking like smart i fucking loved it so that's there it's there in the calendar just waiting for you to add it to you know your calendar to to enrich your life basically so i'm gonna put that link to that calendar again into the you know this week's show notes i'll probably keep doing that Ooh, hello friends from the outside i'll probably keep doing that for the next few weeks um until y'all you know get the point and sign up for the calendar and then start going to these virtual events because a lot of them you know um are free we're lucky enough that they're free of course if you can definitely buy books from the bookstore like i definitely bought books from love sweet arrow on top of you know my surprise boxes i definitely bought you know like i said i bought books from um como se llama a story book shop and you know the one in alaska who like also like when am i gonna actually i do want to go to alaska one day um because why not but you know until then i bought books from bookstore and they get shipped to me it's great um so yeah i had so much fun um if you got to participate um i would love to hear about it uh you know hit me up on little twitters at melissa and on instagram at semv you know that'll be spelled out in z it's show notes all right so i'm gonna pause here and then when i come back i'm gonna talk about Archangel's consort, yeah, guilt hunter Nalini. Sing. Don't know why I did that, but I did. All right, so I'm back, and now it's time to talk about Archangel's consort. So this is book three in the Guilt Hunter series, and 
if you've been following along, book one, our main character, our main couple was Raphael and Elena. Book two, our main characters were Raphael and Elena. Book three, our main characters are Raphael and Elena. And you're probably like, pero you said series. Is this one of those series where we follow the same couple book after book after book and all we get is them and how boring? Here's the thing. Um, A, Nalini Singh wrote this, so it could not be boring. But also B, that will change. The very next book is not uh, fo- is. Let me rephrase that. Raphael and Elena show up in it, but they are not the main couple of book four. So one of the things that I mentioned when I last spoke about this series is that um, in the very first book, Raphael and Elena, you know, fall in love and then, you know, almost you know, think things get crazy towards the end. I'm trying to not be spoilery too much about that. Um, so what we then get to see in book two is a couple who has decided that they are in love with each other, want to make things work, and then trying to make things work. And the the journey that that looks like when these are two people with, you know, crazy power differentials between the two of them. One is an archangel who's been, you know, alive for over a thousand years kind of thing. Actually, no, I think that's how long Dimitri has served him. So, you know, he's been around, well, I don't remember. I'm going to guesstimate at least 5,000 years. And the other is a human who was just turned into um, an angel. Yeah, the, the balance of power there is not equal. Can it ever be equal? Probably not. So what does it look like for a couple who has fallen in love with each other, has to work together, and yet there are so many differences, right? And not just those sort of regular differences that you expect of of two people who are trying to blend their life together, right? Um, which we can relate to on the sense like, you know, when you meet someone and then you got to meet their friends and hope their friends like you and they got to meet your friends and vice versa. You hope your friends like them and like there aren't, there isn't drama between the friend groups, you know, meeting family, whether it is like blood relatives, like mothers, fathers, brothers, that kind of stuff, or people who you consider your found family, who whose opinion of this significant person in your life matters. So there's all that going on. And then of course, you know, the fact that like, you know, Raphael's an archangel and all the power dynamics and the politics behind all that and what it means that he is a consort that is, you know, a mortal turned angel and, you know, all that jazz. So we get to book three. And I feel like in the first two books, we get a lot of background, especially book two. We get a lot of background on both Raphael and Elena. There are many things that they, you know, can't be like, oh, we both had, you know, this or this or this. And like, that's what makes this compatible. There are many things that, you know, separate them. There is one thing that ties them that is really, really, really difficult. Um, and I would say, I guess I would say for, you know, at least this book, um, if not possibly the whole series, trigger warning, you know, trigger warning in regards to loss of a parent. Um, 
specifically because both of them have lost mothers. I mean, technically, Raphael has lost both parents, whereas Elena has her father, but both have lost mothers. Um, And so book three, we really, really get into the nitty gritty of that, I feel like. And I see that because in this book, um, Raphael has to grapple with the fact that it, his mother, who is an archangel, is waking up. Um, so archangels, basically we're informed immortals don't like die, um, but sometimes they get just tired of being immortal. So they go to sleep, right? With a capital S, they go into a sleep and that's like, you know, they find a place, they hunker down, and we're not talking about, like, mm, those, like, really, like, sweet, you know, bed inside, like, you know, top-of-the-line suite. Now we're talking, like, underneath the earth, you know, somewhere where no one can find them. So that's what Raphael's mother did. Cal- I don't know if it's Kalian. I've always said Kalian, so that's what I'm going to go with. Kalian has been asleep, you know, all of Elena's existence, obviously, <laughs> And for a large part of Raphael's. And as we read the book, we start to realize that Kellyanne is waking up. What I think is really fascinating in this book is that both Raphael and Elena, right, have the trauma of having mothers who left them. Now, of course, when I say left them, I don't mean like woke up one day and was like, Ew, kids, gross, bye. That's not what happened. Right, but Elena's mother, um, oh, trigger warning, suicide. Sorry, guys, I'm, I, I am privileged to not, you know, have had, um, intimate knowledge of these kinds of events so they are not triggering me in that sense but i'm realizing that that obviously can't be the case for everyone um so elena's mother commits suicide she doesn't commit it on the page but as elena is remembering we're seeing how it happened at least from elena's viewpoint when elena because elena is the one who finds her um and elena is i believe a 10 or 11 i think she's 10 Right, so Elena's mother chooses, quote unquote, to leave her behind, her and her sister Beth. Raphael's mother is insane, as archangels can sometimes go cuckoo, and chooses to go to sleep. But not after, you know, almost completely destroying her own son. So one of the things that's fascinating is looking at this mother-child relationship right which we always hope is you know filled with love and acceptance and joy and all the positive emotions and then realizing okay but you know in real life that that specific relationship can also be the place of the biggest betrayal the place of the biggest loss of trust how do you as an adult function? How do you as an adult get past that, work through that, come out on the other side? And what's fascinating in this book is that Elena being, you know, the daughter of a mortal and mortal, 
to a certain degree, can't ever sit down with her mother again and be like, Marguerite, why? Marguerite, how? Marguerite, you know, would you, you know, would you do it all over again if you could? But Raphael, an archangel whose mother is just asleep and is awakening, can sit down, assuming she's not batshit insane, and be like, why? And if she isn't batshit insane, if her being asleep for a few thousand years has, you know, gotten rid of the insanity, then how do you navigate that? How do you navigate a new relationship with a woman who on one hand gave birth to you and loved you and cared for you, but on the other hand also, you know, beat you within an inch of your life and left you in a field broken? Now here's the thing, they can't die. So she knew, she must have known on some level that leaving her son in the middle of nowhere, unable to move, that he would just have to lie there while any sorts of animals came and tortured him, essentially. Not because animals are like, ew, angel human on the ground, time to torture, cha-cha. No, but because they're like, ooh, flesh that's like not moving, like easy prey. So how do you, how do you bring those two things together right those two sides or you know how do you deal with the complexity um of the human well in this case not human being the archangel who is your mother who is both a woman who wiped away your tears when you were like you know literally five but also you know destroyed your body and left you you know and, and and on top of that you know also killed your dad but your dad was crazy so maybe you know that's justified but what she does to Raphael is that justified can you justify and can you come back from that so one of the th- things that I think is really interesting had Raphael had an angel part an angel consort they might have been like your mother's trash or I can't believe, you know, they might have been a lot more guarded or I don't know what their response would have been. Maybe even if he had a consort who was human, but hadn't lost them. Like maybe if Elena had like mom and dad and everyone was like hunky fucking dory and it was like a TV show and everything was perfect. She might have been like, your mom crazy. Get, get away from her. But that's not the case. He's got a consort who's like, I would give anything for one more day with my mother. And you get this chance. Granted. She might be legit insane and may, you know, be the end of, you know, bring the end of times. But just in case she's not, we got to like find out. Because if she's not cuckoo, you could have a mom again. And that is, you know, like, quote unquote priceless. So we get to see in this third book, I feel like we get a, that is kind of our, this focus of like the mother child relationship what that means for these two characters that we love who are in love with each other how are they navigating the traumas that they have of being abandoned by their mothers and of the pain that their mothers caused right because their mothers didn't just abandon them in a painless fashion it is painful and then on top of that right we've also got Things that are coming out that are making us realize, wait, we thought after book three that things were going to be, you know, done or there wasn't going to be more. We're starting to realize, 
oh, some of the clues about Elena from book one, we're starting to realize, hold up, she isn't just mortal. And I say this in like, she is mortal. But when we get to book three, we find out two really important things. Her father and his family carry the hunter-born gene, something she had no idea and always assumed was tied to her mother. But in fact, is Jeffrey Devereaux, who is the one who carries the hunter gene. So what does that mean when he threw out his only daughter at 18 for quote-unquote being an abomination for being hunter-born when it came from him? Questions. Questions, my friends. What does it mean? What does it mean? Of course, is Nalina going to give it to us in this book? No, she's like, girl, keep reading. But the other one, there is a blank. Um, let me backtrack. You know, at one point, Elena talks about how, like, all of a sudden, all of her mom's things were gone. And she more or less assumed that her father got rid of everything. Ooh, and there's a parallel because when her apartment gets destroyed after that, you know, initial the first like it's not even the battle with Urm because her apartment gets destroyed when her and Raphael are facing off and he's in the quiet and he you know she has to like literally fight him to get him to come you know to get him to not stop or whatever um so she goes back to see her apartment sees that everything's gone and immediately assumes that all the things that she has collected over the years are just gone but finds out later that Raphael made sure that all of that was collected and stored. And not only that, because there, the fight happens during a rainstorm, the items that have been damaged are restored. So when she sees them again, assuming that certain things will just be gone because they've been lost to quote unquote the elements, it's like, no, here they are and in perfect condition. Meaning not only did someone save these treasures that matter so much to me, but they restore them. Another layer of you know, love for Raphael. But then we see the parallel of that in that she assumed that her father got rid of everything having to do with her mother and her two sisters who are gone until she finds out that actually this entire time there's a safety deposit box with a key that leads to a storage unit that has these things. So her father could not keep any of those things around but as opposed to being the cold unfeeling bastard she has believed him to be which on some level he is he didn't just destroy everything he just put it into place where Elena can deal with it now that she's an adult but that he doesn't have to look at it and within that storage unit there's a blanket and Raphael's like skirt 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 there's blood on this blanket she's like girl what no this was in my room there never there was a there's no blood on this and he's like no 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 Whoever made this blanket, you know, at some point pricked themselves or whatever. But the echo of this blood isn't from a mortal. It's from a vampire. And she's looking at him like, sir, my mother was a mortal. He's like, maybe. But vampires under 200 can have kids. Their kids will be mortal, but they can have them. And she's looking at him like, what the fuck did you just say? And he's like, I'm just saying, somewhere in your family tree, boo-boo, there is a vampire. And this blanket is, comes from her mama. So all of a sudden you're like, a family member from her mother's side was vampire? So not only was her mother a vamp, you know, a child of vampires, her father is a child of someone who is hunter born, 
or someone in his family is Hunter Bourne. If, if it's not his parents, it's his grandparents, but it is, you know, a rare anomaly and also Brunson family trees. And then we have Elena. Imagine that. And one of the reasons why Elena finds out that this comes from her papa and not her mama is that she has two half-sisters, right? Because her father, Jeffrey, goes on to marry Gwendolyn, um, who looks nothing like her mother. And Gwendolyn has two daughters with him, Amethyst and Evelyn, which I thought... I thought it was really interesting. Um, In terms of naming, right? Jeffrey had four daughters with Marguerite. um, Arabelle? I believe it's Arabelle. Uh, Oh, I'm blanking on the other name with with a B. And then Beth. And then Elena. And her full name's Eleonora. Um, but then it's like Amethyst and Evelyn, like he, he didn't go for a K name, a C name, an L, like similar letters, right? And so what comes out is that uh, Evelyn is Hunter Bourne, like her older half-sister. So like Elena, she can scent vampires, right? And this is something that she can't just ignore because, you know, being able to scent at that level, right? It's like, you know crazy like you know when you can take apart the scent of a person and name it by notes be like hmm i sniffed that vampire and i smelled sunshine a dash of glass splinters and ink girl what (laughs) oh the rest of us are here be like it smelled it smelled like something black what you know say so as opposed to when because I think what ends up happening... I, is Evelyn around the same age? I think she's 11. She may be 10 or 11 when, when the, in this book as this is happening. Right? So around the same age, literally, that Elena was when the vampire came into her home. You know, killed her mother. Killed her... Um, ugh, killed her older sisters. Um, and part of it is... The assumption is that he was drawn to her because she was Hunter born and something about her scent. But now, right in this moment, as we're realizing that there is vampire somewhere in Elena's family tree on her mother's side, the question is, was it that or was it some sort of scent that comes down from the vampire side that he smelled? That Jeffrey might not have smelled because he is not Hunter born, even though the Hunter born gene runs in his family. So we have all of these questions just about Elena that we know need to be resolved at some point. There's no point in bringing them up if we're not going to resolve them. So we already know that that's going to be coming in other books. But we also get to see in this book um, more of Raphael 7, right? Um, We've met all of them. We've met Audon. We've met Dimitri, Galen, Venom, Nasir, Ilium. Jason, we've met them and we have questions. These are men that we want to know more about. Um, we want to know what what it has it been like for Dimitri to be a vampire for you know over a thousand years, kind of thing. What is it like for Galen, you know, 
to be a weapons master for Raphael? What is it like? How were both Nasir and Venom made? Because they are vampires, but they are not your everyday typical vampires. So what happened that led to their creation? You know, what is Ilium's backstory? We've gotten pieces of it, but we don't have a whole. So as we're seeing more of these characters and we're seeing their relationships with Elena, their relationships change with Raphael, the changes in the growth, right? Because on some level, you know, Dimitri's kind of like, but Elena makes you weak, so like maybe, maybe kill the bitch. And Raphael's like, uh, nah, I'll kill you first. I mean, I know we've been friends for a thousand years, but you know, it ain't bros before hoes in this case. Nah, mm So sorry. That's not the choice I'm going to make, sis. So, you know, what what is that like, right? When you've been friends with someone for, you know, a thousand years. And they're like, this woman, this woman, she's mine. You fuck it up. I might have to kill you. And you're like, yo, I've been your friend for a thousand years. I've been had your back. I'm your, you know, your day one. You ride or die. And you choose it. Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, I guess. I may have to adjust. But like, eh, hey, I am, I am, you know, your boy. I am your person. I wait. And Raphael's like, so you're not my person anymore. But I mean, like, thank you so much for your friendship. Love you. But like, she is my person. But like, you know, you and I, we all, hey, you looking like, yeah. I mean, you're right. I don't have a vagina. It's not the same. We don't swing that way. Pero, okay. So it's fascinating to sort of see that. And then, of course, Dimitri is looking at Elena like, but are you worthy? Like, you got my man tied up in knots over here for you. But is you worthy of that? And Elena's like, I am. And he's like, mm, oh no, gonna have to test it. Gonna have to test it. And so seeing all of that, I personally love that because I think, you know, yes, it's like vampire, angel, blah, blah, blah. but like, that's how we are. Like, at least that's how I am with like my, my friends. Like, you know, when the boyfriends first come around, I was like, hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. just looking at them like if you fuck up if you fuck up just know i won't come for you you gonna die i mean not literally because you know jail or like gonna make your life miserable but when that relationship sort of cements itself and grows and becomes you know important you're like all right all right i know i said that i would kill you if you're fucked up and that hasn't changed that has not changed 15 years down from though you fuck up just a new i'm gonna pop up like a fucking jig in the box and fuck you up but you know in the meantime i like you welcome to the family welcome welcome right so don't forget don't fuck up don't hurt her don't hurt him because i'll come for you don't hurt them because if you do it is it going to be a, a light set out or is it going to be a, a loser your job or is it going to be a you know i don't know there are so many things let's not listen um because if it is recorded it can be used as evidence um i'm kidding guys i'm kidding k-i-d-d-i-n-g exclamation but i think that that really sort of 
seeing that on the page is so fun you know even as like the backdrop of everything that's happening in the world that's so fun no there are things that are happening you're kind of like whoa so much change so much flux so much uncertainty which some of you are like esther right now really right now like a book with all that happening right right now (laughs) is that a good idea i mean here's the thing though it's a book which means that that shit gonna get resolved and like you don't gotta like live through it to find out the resolution you just gotta breathe fast i mean you know i'm just saying at least books the one through 12 is out so you don't gotta like be like oh okay well you know well hopefully i'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be you know a brand new day just just keep reading in this world just just keep reading so i really really enjoyed um both more information on you know the seven and not just the seven because we also start to get a little bit more information about elijah and titus and astad and neha and favashi and Michaela and lihuan right the cadre um and you know these these ultra powerful archangels um and now of course his mother Kellyanne, and what that means and what that's gonna look like and we get a little bit of the history but at the end of this book right you know our couple is together but we are also left with questions like what exactly is fucking coming and what i think is really interesting is that after this book right after archangel's consort we actually um we don't can we shift gears a bit and next book archangel's blade immediately we dive into dimitri's story so we go from three books really sort of focused on Raphael and elena as you know our main focus with all of the sort of peripheral happenings and then book four she's like all right let's let's start let's start on this road this road that has all these forks to other people but that will also allow us to see Raphael and Elena in different lights because now that the focus isn't them, we can see how others see them and what that means in this world. So that, 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 that I really, really appreciate that. Um, I think that that makes me as a reader want more because I'm like, okay, we're going to go to Dimitri's book, but like, I don't think we're going to be resolving, you know, what's happening with Elena and with, you know, her whole background in that book. So, like, when does that happen? When do we get to see that? And, you know, it's coming. It's coming. But we just, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. And we get to sort of, you know, I think by being able to delve into, um, the set some of the you know the backstory of the seven we get to really sort of see we get to also see the kind of angel archangel leader that Raphael has been in because the seven obviously have a history with him and can give us insight and information about him that we can't see 
because Elena doesn't know it. So Elena can't give us, you know, that kind of backstory. And Raphael might not even think about it because there might be things that are, um, there might be key moments that stand out to each member of the seven as being so fucking important to their relationship with Raphael. And Raphael might agree with some of those moments, but some of those moments he might even be like, really? That stuck out to you? Because again, the things that are going to create the sort of multi-strand um, web of a relationship with someone, right? Those strands might have, some might be thicker than others for you. And that can't be the same for the other person because you're both coming from it from your viewpoint. Um, and so I really, really um, like that. Like that that is something that is coming. And in this book, I really think that um, being able to really get an in-depth look of Raphael and Elena, because we've been with them for three books, I think is fantastic. Um, because there is something to be said for spending time with a couple when we really get to learn about them. And because we weren't given all of the details of these two, because their love, you know, happened. Um, I don't want to say it was forced proximity, but it was on a much accelerated timeline because of what was happening, right? So much was happening. They were hunting Erm down and then Erm was trying to kill everybody. It just accelerated everything, right? And I also think it's because both of them as characters, as who they are, are not people who are like, and then I went on date 77 and penned a note in my journal of maybe this is the one. They're, that's not who Raphael and Elena are. They're not those kind of characters. They're not those kind of people. They're people who like, when they go in, they go all in, right? And then it's like, okay, I'm all in, but I still got questions. But I still got shit to deal with. And I think what's also really cool is that we get to see that like, oh, look, two people fall in love. Does life become fucking perfect? A utopia where nothing goes wrong, where everything is wonderful, where all of the trauma that you had just, whoo, you know, go poof. No, girl. No. All that shit you entered into that relationship with is there and will fuck you up. And fuck up your relationship if y'all don't communicate. If y'all don't work on this relationship. Work on making it be what you need it to be for each other. And we get to see time and time again, you know, them figuring out the boundaries between each other. Them figuring out where they compromise, where they don't compromise. And I, that to me is so important because I feel like often we don't see examples of couples making it work, of doing the work, of working, you know, I keep saying the word work, but that's because like, you don't just wake up and roll, oh, love you, love you, and everything's wonderful and hunky-dory, you know, there are going to be really great times where y'all are in sync and everything is flowing and everything is great, and then there are going to be shit times where you're angry at each other, where you've hurt each other, not on purpose, Never with the intent to harm, but the impact of your actions have hurt that other person. You have to figure out how to navigate that, how to 
make space within your relationship for the fact that you disappointed each other. But that doesn't mean that you walk away or you give up or you say, well, you know, all right, you know, disappointment number one is on the books. And now we run for opposite corners of the world and we never speak again. No, that's not what you're going to do. But you got to make space for that. And then you got to work through that. You got to talk through that. There are moments where they don't want to talk, right? Where they result in, you know, fucking or, you know, fighting. The fight scenes, I think, are really fascinating because elena's like yo i gotta get better so come from come at me and he's like girl what and she's like come at me we gotta do this right i gotta be strong i ain't gonna get strong just you know wishing for it at a train i gotta train every day i gotta train 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 and you're an archangel i mean it don't get more powerful than that and she's not wrong she's not wrong so we get to see all of this dynamic And then we also get to see them holding each other as they confront and deal with the truths that are hard to deal with, right? In that first book, Jeffrey Devereaux is asshole incarnate. And I'm like, when is this motherfucker going to die? Book three, I'm like, okay. I don't know that we can kill him. I still don't like him. But I have questions. I need to understand what has happened for him to become this kind of a man. Would I have thought that I would have that thought about Jeffrey in book one? And now in book one, I was like, kill the motherfucker. Why he no go sploot and die? But by book three, I'm like, oh. Oh, I see. Because we were seeing everything from the viewpoint of Elena and not just the viewpoint of Elena as an adult but the viewpoint of Elena as both a 10 year old child who was you know caught in that literal nightmare and then that 18 year old that he threw out on the street and when we are young and our parents fuck us over it takes us a very long time to understand then in some cases, our parents weren't fucking us over because they're just terrible people, but they're fucking us over because they have trauma and baggage that they haven't dealt with because they decided that the way that they were going to deal with the pain, the hurt, the rage, all of that was by acting a certain kind of way. And in the process, ravaged us. In the process, you know, destroyed something in us. And again... Was that their intention? Most likely not. But the impact. (laughs) The impact, friends. And so we're realizing in this book, ooh, both Raphael and Elena have very complicated relationships with their parents. Actually, a lot of us have complicated relationships with our parents. And we aren't going to get able to get past that. And work through that and grow from that until we acknowledge that our parents were adults who made mistakes like us. That our parents are adults who loved us and did not choose to traumatize us even as they did. Now, you know, obviously that's not the case for everyone. Some people might be out here like, now girl, now girl. My parents weren't, you know, and shit. And so... You're right. This cannot be applied to everyone. But I think it's a really interesting 
look at that relationship to remind us all that parents aren't just like perfect beings that woke up gave birth to us and just you know no they are adults with flaws with faults who had children some were ready to some weren't who may have been really great at first and then the piling on of life broke them or warped them into the kind of individuals who would then create the kind of chaos and upheaval that they go on to do in you know their child's life and that is i think at least for me i really really like seeing that in this series um and we also get to see like some of the, like one of the really i think fascinating also concepts right elena is now immortal and so she will see her you know blood sister sarah pass away she will see her actual sister beth pass away her other two sister half sisters amethyst and evelyn most likely pass away she will be there to watch over Sarah's daughter Zoe and whatever children Zoe has and what does that mean when you know that you're going to outlive your friends and your siblings and your parents and everyone in your life and on the one hand the absolute sorrow of that right the absolute sorrow of knowing you will outlive all of your loved ones and then the flip side You're outliving all of them because the one person who makes you whole is immortal. So you'll get to spend, you know, forever with that person. So the joy of being with your person forever tempered by the knowledge that you will lose everyone else. Yo, that is... That is a concept, that is a thought, that is a thing. And obviously, it's not like we're like, oh yes, I fell in love with, you know, this boy, I fell in love with that girl, I fell in love with that person, and now we have to navigate the fact that we're going to live to, you know, 972, you know, as far as I know, most people are living to 100 and something at most. Um, But it's such a fascinating concept. And I like that it isn't just like, but they're immortal and everything's like great. Like, no, there are things that immortality can't protect you from, can't keep you safe from. And the reason is the literal, like the immortality is the reason for that. Um, So, I mean, if you haven't figured out, I'm absolutely fascinated by this series and by releasing and I'm really enjoying rereading it and really excited to see these books again um but like one after the other which is not something I've done in a long time um I don't think I have any more thoughts I think this is where I want to end it I, I believe um basically all I can say is check out books for romance uh day on twitter and if you can't watch the panels, uh, the link for Linda's calendar is going to be in the show notes so that you can be able to 
you know, add awesome virtual romance events to your calendar. Um, and yeah, if you've got um, thoughts, questions, comments, definitely hit me up on Twitter or on Instagram. And if you could take, you know, a brief second, I'm lying, it's going to take it more than like one literal second, but like a brief moment to rate or review or both um, of the podcasts on whatever, you know, is it the platform? Yes, platform you are listening on. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's it for this week. I don't, I feel like I want to do Archangel's Blade next week. I feel like that's what I'm leaning towards. So, you know what? That's what we're going to do. We're going to do Archangel's Blade next week. Archangel's Blade next week. And, you know, uh, be safe out there. Be hydrated. Um, and take a moment sometime this week to just sit in a patch of sunshine, if you can, and marvel at the sun on your face. Sometimes I forget about what that's like. And when I do it, I'm like, oh, this is so pleasant. This is so wonderful. I feel so at peace. Ooh, and if you can play some, like, soft, focused music in the background so that you feel like you're having a moment. Even if it's, like, literally a minute, 30 seconds, do it. You'll like it. Yes. Okay, bye.